the test to make sure this is on. We good to go? Check one, two. All right. Hey, guys, as you walked in, you may uh, have noticed that there's been some, uh, some, some light work <laughs> going on in our place of worship and also on the front, and there's doors that are painted. And I, I just, man, I want to thank all you men that just stepped up and helped. This is a ton of volunteer work. This was taking the fins off. This was, this was uh, um, framing part of the part, you know, a wall here that was missing, and then other guys coming in who do electrical work, doing the electrical, and other guys doing the, the paneling or uh, the drywall and sanding and everything else. And so what you see right now is just a labor of love that just happened by God's grace and also just the generosity of the people in our church. Hey, look, if there's ways that you are skilled in that could help us, we want you to know we would just lo love to receive that help. And I also just want to thank Ty, who's got a painting business, has been getting his guys here and just painting. It's just a great help, and we want this to just look good for the glory of God and have a place to, to worship Jesus. So it's, it's coming along. So, look, if you have a skill and you want to help in some way, let us know because we will bring you along. You can, uh, you can thank all those guys, by the way. Thank you, all you brothers that helped out. We really appreciate the help. So that's why it's a little torn up and stuff. And then tomorrow, we're actually, uh, the painters are coming in to paint the inside of the facility. So that, that's exciting. This, it is, that is a woohoo, exactly. So, um, so that being said, I just wanted you guys to know about why it looks the way it looks and where we're going, and it's, and it's an exciting, exciting time. Hey, so um, a week ago or so, some of you have may, may have seen some Instagram pictures or heard that my wife and I went on a little trip to a place called the Magic Castle. Now, my, Becky and I had never heard of the Magic Castle. Um, it, it's nothing weird, okay, but just like Magic Castle is basically this uh, um, old cottage, not a cottage, it's a large house in Los Angeles. It's a really old building, and what, what it, it's owned by um, some people that have historically been a part of the entertainment world of, of magic and sleight of hand and all that sort of thing. So we got invited into this extremely exclusive club because someone else knew someone who got tickets to it. Apparently, to even go to this party, you have to be a member. It's members only. It's packed out. It's really fun. And we had the privilege of going. Now, when we went, we discovered, as we looked at the menu, that it was not cheap, and you were required to eat a meal there. In addition, you were required to dress up really nice. There were all kinds of rules for what you could wear and what you could not wear, uh, and you had to just dress to the nines. You had to put on the Ritz. It kind of was old school, and, but it was super fun. Had great food, great drink, um, dressed up, lots of people, and saw amazing uh, entertainment that night. And one of the things that it reminded me of was that people love a party. People enjoy a party where they're going to dress up and, and, and have good food and have time with other people and just have fun and be entertained. People love it. There's something in us that longs for a good party. And I, let me tell you this, that our God, our God in heaven actually has something for us far better than we could ever experience in this world. Something that will make parties like that look like a two-year-old party 
put on by two-year-olds. I'm not saying two-year-old parties aren't fun to go to. You don't, don't, not invi- don't uninvite us, don't unlike us on Facebook because I've made a comment about kids' parties. I'm just saying that if the two-year-old were putting on a, t- a two-year-old party, it probably wouldn't be that cool. And b- what we need to understand is this, that our God in heaven actually has something for us that will just make ev- the biggest and the most lavish party that we could ever experience or long for or try to achieve look like something very minimal. Now, it's interesting, when we went on that party, we noticed how expensive things were, and I started to get curious, what does it cost to have an expensive party? You know, someday, you know, I'm going to marry off, like, a daughter, Lord willing, we have a son, we're going to help out. Like, what could we possibly invest and help our family? Do, how could we do this? I mean, we're going to give them, you know, $500, cake, punch, park, you know, whatever. So, like, we don't have, like, that's our budget, and they know this. They, we've prepared them since they were young. So all the dreams that a daughter could have of a big, you know, but we have crushed those dreams early on to make everything absolutely clear. This is what it's, and that, and that is the dream. Cake and punch at the park with all your friends. Look to heaven, daughter. Look to heaven. But then I got curious, what does it cost to run really big parties? And what has been the most expensive party that's gone, throughout, gone on throughout human history? And not that we could totally know that per se, but I, you know, Googled, like, super expensive parties. And, and what, you know, what you find is that some of the most expensive parties were not $5,000 or $30,000, right? That, that's crushing. Or $750,000, the, pr- the price of a home in our area, which is absolutely crushing, right? No, no, no. Much higher. In fact, the, one of the most expensive parties that we know about in recent human history was a wedding from, by, uh, I think it was in the 80s. It was Charles and Prince, Princess Diana. What do you think it would cost? It was no $100,000, I'll tell you that. It was $110 million for that party. $110 million. Um, now, I get it that security would be super expensive as well. I mean, you know, give those guys 10 grand, you know, for their hard work. And the pastor got paid lavishly, I'm sure. I'm sure they probably thought, no, he's paid by God. Don't worry about him. So, um, but that's big money. But here's the point. Out of all that we can conceive of the longings for a party together, God has something so much grander. God has a better place beyond anything we've ever seen. Jesus has a kingdom that is grander than our wildest dreams. Our Lord has a city, if you will, a city beyond our imagination, and there is only one thing that we ought to do, knowing this amazing truth, is that we should bow down in worship and reverence and awe to God. Now, I'm not saying, because it can sound like I'm saying to worship God because of the things that he gives, we get God. Now, however, when we go, what we will see in the passage this morning as we continue to work through Hebrews, is that the, the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, will call us to have gratitude to God for that day and that place and that city And so if you will, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The book of Hebrews, 
chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 18. Hebrews 12, chapter 12, starting in verse 18. Uh, I'm going to read the text, and then we'll, we'll go back. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and voice whose words made the, the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned indeed. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, with, and, and to innumerable angels in festive gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks to a better word than the blood of Abel. See, that you do not refuse him who's speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. If you hear anything this morning, hear those words. Let me pray for us one more time. Gracious Father, we thank you for a morning where we come and hear the reading of your word. Your word is truth. It is from you, O God of heaven. I pray that the scriptures, your word, would pierce our hearts and cause worship and awe and reverence of you and you alone, forsaking, causing us to forsake all other temptations and gods before us, not refusing what has been spoken from you. O Lord and our God, amen. And so what I'm saying this morning is that God has a better place for us, God has a better kingdom, yet we, and a, a better city than, than we could possibly imagine, and that the only right response is worship and reverence and in awe. And so there's some things that I want you to see this morning as we look at this. One of the first things I want us to recognize is that we uh, have come, now notice my tense, we have come to a party that is but is not yet. That might sound awe and feel a little weird, but I'll read the text and I'll, I'll explain as we go on. It begins in verse 18. For, so, so, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. By the way, a tempest is a raging wind. And I know this doesn't sound like a party at first. This doesn't sound like a party that we're coming to. 
We'll get to it. For you have not come. Interesting tense in light of what has been said about an experience that Old Testament saints had. You see, there's this amazing contrast going on from those that came to um, Mount Sinai versus those who come to Zion. You see, what we see in this contrast is at Sinai, God was terrifying. They came to a place where, where God, you know, they had, he, had, he had rescued God's people from Egypt. Come and worship me in the wilderness and, and let my people go. And, and then the people of God see the great salvation of God, the parting of the Red Sea, and them crossing on the dry land and, and their enemies being demolished, the rescuing of God. Then he calls them to this mountain. He calls Moses up. Moses, come, come. And God delivers his word on tablets. Um, and in contrast, we will see that it'll be not on tablets, but on, on our hearts. His word will be written on our hearts. His law will be written on our hearts. But it's terrifying. If an animal touches it, you need to stone it. You need to kill it. God is so holy. Nothing can come and touch you. You see the terror of God. He is absolutely holy, and you are not. You are wretched. You are sinful. You are wicked. But God is good. God is holy. And this is good news. And so you saw, it starts, even though we are coming to this, this party, to the city, to this kingdom, that's really, really good. Before we get there, this odd language of, for you have not come, talking about something that like these people experience. And he says, you have not come. You, you've come to this. And here's the thing, it has like present benefits for the people that have, that have come to not Sinai, but Zion. It's us. And those that have come to faith in Christ Jesus. You've not come to this place that can be touched. It's blazing fire and darkness and gloom. And a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet. That's why we don't do trumpet in church because trumpets are scary. No, actually, they're they're not. But but this is meant to be a raging roar. It's terrifying. The sound of trumpet and voice voice whose words made the hearers beg. They pleaded, "No more, no further messages be spoken to them." It's terrifying, for they could not endure the order that was given: kill an animal. Verse 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that even Moses, now you need to know that what we know about Moses is Moses had this great relationship with God. And even Moses, the one with this great relationship with God, says, I'm afraid. Now we have these radically contrasting words in verse 18, 4, and then in verse 22, the word but. Important to see the language. Because this is an, a radical contrast between them and us. And how God is interacting with us. You see, we're coming to a party. We have come to a party that is now because it's something that is definite that God will accomplish. Even though it is not yet. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Zion was associated so closely with Jerusalem. And here, the author makes this connection, not with just a local city, but of Jerusalem that was this place, you know, promised by God. It was the, this heavenly world that God has made for his people. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, do you see? And to, now it goes on to explain who is there. To a Jerusalem and to the innumerable 
angels in festal gathering. Language we don't always use. I went to a festal gathering in downtown Los Angeles at the Magic Castle. It was a party, and they were dressed really cool. You know, it's really interesting to see this, because the way the book starts, it's not that it's belittling angels, it's pointing out that Jesus is greater than angels in the earlier parts of the book. We get to this point where they will actually be present. You know, there's this really weird thing in culture, like if you were to turn on Netflix, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure, I haven't seen these for a while, but you see like these advertisements uh, I did a long time ago of like, you know, Aliens are coming, or look at all the d- alien discoveries. And all. Like, it's, it's super weird, like weird, like dumb documentaries, like uh, uh, mockumentary type thing. All these people are interested in aliens and blah, blah, blah. And here's, here's the thing behind it, though. I think that it's not so weird. And I think J.R.R. Tolkien even talked about it, that there's something in people that, that longs to talk with um, otherworldly creatures. Like, the reality is, like, um, angels exist. <laughs> these are not worldly creatures. And it says that we will be, we will see this display um, in this heavenly realm and this worship where there are innumerable tens of thousands of these angels dressed for a party in festal gathering. They're not people. Jesus did not die for angels. Jesus died for people. They're these other worldly creatures, these angels, these servants of God. They're super powerful, super cool. They dress super hip, apparently in the presence of God, and we will see that. And, and it goes on, not only those that will be there, but also to the assembly at the firstborn. Now, I, now I want, there's two things that uh, I want you to see. Well, there's one thing, yeah, yeah, there's two ideas that seem really, really similar, but they're not. Okay, one is, there's gonna, uh, he's going to address the type of people there, these Christians. But there's a distinction between the righteous and this first, so, you know, notice it says, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. There's those, that group, right? And to God, the judge of all, and to the, and, ready? To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It almost seems like there's two different classes of people. They're not different classes of people, but what the author is pointing out, just like in chapter 11, that cloud of witnesses, those who had come to God prior to the coming of Jesus, you see, they are the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. They are prior, they're before us. And then after that, you see uh, the other group that is there, namely the spirits of righteousness made, the righteous made perfect. That's all of people who are made righteous by God. By the way, the good news of the gospel is that we are made perfect. One of the great temptations for us as we we pursue Jesus, is a lot of times there's some of us who beat ourselves up really harshly because we don't think that we're good enough, because we're ashamed of the things that we have done. And we think, perhaps, that maybe we will get right with God if I just work hard enough. And what we tend to do, and there's, there's pride behind it, and there's a beating of ourselves. I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, and yes, we, are, I, we need to know that we are wretches. We, are need, we need to know that we are depraved. But if, we, if you have a t- tendency to beat yourself up, I could just never be right with God, then you need to understand the good news of the gospel. Look at well, the people that are there. They are the ones who are enrolled in heaven. They are the assembly of the firstborn, and they're the spirits of the righteous made perfect by Jesus. Not by ourselves. 
We will never make ourselves righteous. And when you come to understand that it is Jesus that makes you righteous, you will more fully rest in what he has done and not what you think that you can do. Please do not beat yourself up. I will just never be good enough. It's true. But you need to live in such a way that you understand that you have come to and coming to a kingdom, a city that is better prepared by God. And we are enrolled in that. Now the line before that, the text before that says, not only are we in the presence of angels and the presence of all these other believers, but also God, the judge of all. There's a foreshadow of what's to come next in the passage about God and his judgment on creation. You see, he's taking care of sin on the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, but he also will judge those who are not paid for by the blood of the Lamb. You see, there will be a reckoning. Those who have rejected Jesus will not have everlasting bliss in God's kingdom in his city. They will have everlasting torments in hell. We live in a world that doesn't like to talk about that or believe that exists. But I tell you this, the word of God says it does. And God is the judge of all, but he's a perfect judge. Nevertheless, we'll be in the presence of all these who are present. And it goes on to say, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkling of the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, I want you to understand what this means. When you look back to the book of Genesis and you see the very first murder of Abel was a point in the passage in the narrative where God says, his Abel's blood is still crying out to me, Cain. What is it crying out? It's crying out, justice. Please, justice for taking the life that God has given. My blood is in the ground. And you see, the better word is that justice has been taken care of on the one who could actually take care of justice. It's Jesus. So you have come to a party. Don't be too hard on yourself, brothers and sisters. There is all kinds of anxieties that come with that, but know that you are coming to a city, a party that God is throwing. Number two, do not reject God, the one who is speaking. Do not reject what God says. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Verse 23, 25, eyes are older. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. I'm going to pause before I read the rest of it. You know, when I was um, in uh, high school, I got involved with uh, a group on campus. I didn't get involved with a lot of groups. This was like the only one I got, and you took a class. It was uh, called Junior ROTC. Junior ROTC. Okay, it's a reserve officer trainer training corps. Junior. It's not the real thing. It's a young person thing. Okay, so when I did it, it was not cool. Like now, there's like a bunch of kids walking down the street, proud in their uniform, like ton- all kinds of high schools. It's a genius way of recruiting young people into military, by the way. And, I, and I, it was not cool. We'd be marching, and my wrestling friends would be walking by, snickering at me. And you're like, supposed to like march properly, and you know, can't snicker back, and no emotions need to come out. Um, but we were at this awards ceremony, and I was like 15, driving, you know, friends and like, you know, friend's mom to the awards ceremony, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe 12, in Elsinore you could drive at 12, I don't know, anyway, so, so I'm, dri- I'm driving the car, we're driving back from this awards ceremony, and I'm a pretty new driver, 
But really, when you're a new driver, you're super excited about driving. It's come back from this award ceremony with, you know, junior ROTC thing, and it's kind of cool. And then I find out things like, you know, from a guest speaker who's a pilot. He's like, hey, kid, I know you want to be in the Marine Corps and fly fighter, fighter, fighter jets. You're going to be too big. You won't be able to. Have a nice life. I was like, all right, I'm out of here. So anyway, so I'm driving home. I'm driving home, and um, there's the road that clearly communicates what you stay on. And these signs that have, you know, directions of when you turn and so forth. But when you're a new driver in Elsinore, where there's no lights, because this is unincorporated uh, more than 20 years ago, it's a different world than it is. There's actually more than one high school there. It's super dark at night. And I'm driving this uh, car, and I, I don't pay attention. I reject the signs that are in front of me that say, turn here to drop off my friend. Instead, I, I turn earlier, but when you turn, it, I didn't turn like, you know, like into a street. I turned downward into like, a, a, you know, a gully, uh, like, a, I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. If it was the mountains, I wouldn't be here today, but it wasn't the mountains. It's called Lake Elsinore, a little flatter in that particular area. Down and then up. Now, you need to realize I'm in a 1978 black Cadillac Seville, painted really nice, um, Eight cylinders have a lot of power, by the way. Just went right back up that hill, but f drove down and then back up, rejecting the signs in front of me that say, do this. When we reject what we are told, there is intense danger in front of us. By God's grace and mercy on that particular day when I drove down that gully and back up it, you know, it was like 10 feet, just like super, super steep, and then back up, we were fine. But there's a lot of other things that we reject where we will not be fine, especially when it comes to God's word. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. When I was in high school, I had a... Um, a mishap that I'm not particularly proud of. I was hanging out with some friends, and I began to really question the good behavior that I had during high school. You can see the flaw in my gospel, by the way, because I thought I was a pretty good kid. In a worldly standards, maybe so. You know, didn't go party. But I sinned in other ways, don't you worry. And, uh, on this occasion, I'm hanging out with these friends who uh, entice me into, into using some drug, some illegal drug. I won't say which one because you might be tempted to say, well, if the pastor did it, then maybe I can. Don't be an idiot. So, so here's what you need to know. So I take this drug with my friends, and it does its thing. And then I am stuck in the torment of unable, the inability to come out of the intox, intoxicating reality of that drug. And I feel intense guilt and shame for what I have done. I know at this point that I've rejected the words of my mother and my father. And I, above all, I know that I have rejected the words of my God. See, I was a Christian at the time, and I'd caved into this sin. And by the way, if you are tempted to just say, well, you know, the Bible only says don't be drunk with wine. It doesn't say don't be drunk with, you know, I don't know, methamphetamines. I don't mean, I don't, like, it doesn't say that there in the Bible, so clearly it must be okay. It doesn't say, it says be, don't be drunk with wine, don't be drunk 
I mean, what's, it doesn't say don't be drunk with weed. I mean, wh- whatever, whatever you think is missing in the Bible, you need to know across the board that um, for, to get intoxicated by any of these drugs is sin. Is sin. Now, I know that there are medical uses for different types of, uh, of drugs. We know that. Praise God. I mean, you don't want to, like, have to have surgery on your arm and be awake the whole time. Like, praise God for drugs for that. In fact, did you know, like, with the whole, like, marijuana thing, people want to say, well, like, you know, I have, like, whatever. I have, like, that issue, and I needed to get, get that. You know, you can actually get the kind that doesn't get you high? Like, did you know that? It's, it's science. You don't have to, like, no, no, I need the one that get you high. No, don't be an idiot. There's the theological word for the day. Don't be dumb. Don't be sinful. Don't reject what God is speaking in verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. See, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised Yet one more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. It's a recreation. It's a judgment from God. On all of creation, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that, w- that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. There is good news attached to this judgment from God. A new creation, a party, a festive gathering with angels and the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and the fellowship of all the saints throughout history together. And God has called us, he has rescued us so that we have not come to Sinai, but Zion, a city, a better city, one that we couldn't possibly imagine. And that should motivate us to worship. Number three, the last point is this. Therefore, let us be grateful what God has in store for us. If you read the next verse, it says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe. Now, we hear all the scariness, the terrifyingness of God, and yet it's padded with the goodness and the grace of God, not the old, but the new, a new covenant. And then it closes with this sentence. Are you ready? For our God is a consuming fire. He is terrifying, but he is good. He is holy, and his justice and wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ so that we wouldn't have to go through that. We couldn't be blasphemous, blasphemous, which I think would be good. Only Jesus can pay for sins, and we cannot. So brothers and sisters, know that God has something much better with the good news of the gospel. Rest in him, and come and worship him, and him alone, and reverence, and in awe, in all of your life. Certainly when you gather together, knowing of a festive time that will come in the future, a better party, there's a party that everyone else tries to throw, it's just not good enough. All the other ways we try to find pleasure and whatever it is, it just fails. It shows a longingness in our heart for something better, and here's the good news, God actually gives something better himself. 
So let's worship him in awe and reverence. Let's pray.